Well, I'm changing up just a little bit this morning. So turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We're at the place in the book of 1 Peter where we learn about um, our place as servants in the community, in our world, in the home and other places, but um, sort of our civil obedience as well. So today I'm going to show you civil disobedience in the right way, and then we'll go back next week and talk about obedience. Um, I don't know why I thought I would do it backwards, but uh, just doing it backwards. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read chapter 3 because it's the context of chapter 4. Chapter 4 is actually where I'm speaking from, the first 12 verses. So bear with me, it's a lot of reading, but... um, I want you to get this story. It's great. It's one of the greatest stories in Scripture. This is just shortly after Pentecost. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man, this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for him a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more anyone, to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God... You must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. God bless the reading of your word and the teaching of it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I read verse 22, not verse 12. But when I got to verse 12, I realized that wasn't far enough, so I had to keep going to get to where I need to be. So what a great uh, scene, the healing of this lame man. It's one of the, I think, one of the greatest stories in all scripture. Peter and John gathered there for prayer at the temple. They encountered this lame man. He asked for alms and expecting to receive it from them when they said, look at me. But rather, he got something way more than he expected than he ever could have dreamed of. He was healed and was raised up to walk Leaping, praising God. And I love the scene here. 40-year-old man, lame, apparently, seemingly all of his life, much of his life, now able to run and jump and leap. And he clings, the Bible says, clings to Peter and John. And I love this scene. I was thinking about Jerry up here holding Dakota or Seth up here holding Brenton them wanting to cling to their daddy up here, what it must have looked like for a 40-year-old man to be clinging to Peter and John as they're trying to preach. But apparently it didn't bother them enough to stop. And they did just that. Peter does much like he does at Pentecost just a few chapters before and preaches through the history of Israel. How the God of our fathers has healed this man through his servant Jesus Christ. 
And he uses Moses and even Abraham. Points out the fact that this Christ is the Messiah that has been promised. And you are the sons of the covenant. And it's to you first that God has sent this Messiah. To bless you and turn every one of you from your iniquities. So something has to be done about this. Something has to be done about these men who are still preaching about this Jesus who the leaders thought they had rid themselves of, right? They had crucified him. They had killed him. He was buried and gone. And though they didn't believe the rumors that he had raised from the dead, all they cared about that he was gone. Or so they thought. The priests and the captain and the temple of the Sadducees and the Sadducees, all of them, the leaders of the Pharisees, they came together. And the Bible says they were greatly disturbed. The King James says they were greatly grieved. And here's why they were grieved. They were grieved because the people had taught them. And that word taught means to instill doctrine and proclaim it publicly or preach it. They were teaching solid, sound doctrine to those who would listen. And yes, they were preaching about the resurrection from the dead. You might remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were disturbed. And they helped put these men in custody. They had to figure out something. But much like when Jesus was on earth, there were many converts. Did you see that? Some 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, were converted at the preaching of Peter and John. So the leaders wanted to silence them, but they were afraid. What could they do about this? And they asked this question. By what power have you done this? Just like with Jesus again, they focus on this healing. I'm always amazed when I read through the scriptures, no matter how many times, that people weren't astounded by the healing. They were more angry and upset that the healing had taken place. And I think probably it's a combination of one, they weren't getting the glory for it. They didn't want anybody else to have it. And two, it seemed to uh, give credibility to this movement or this teacher named Jesus. And they hated it. But everything was a problem. Now Luke says they were arrested because, um, Luke of course wrote the book of Acts, he tells us they were arrested because of the miracle, but then they were questioned, or they were arrested about teaching uh, about the resurrection, but then they questioned them about the healing. And it's important that to note it all goes together. The problem they had was that they thought Jesus was gone and they weren't going to have to deal with it again. But here they are dealing with it again. And we see that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to preach. Sometimes the apostles were filled with the Spirit, sometimes they weren't. But what's important is that whether they were or they weren't, they still preached the gospel. And I think that's important for us to remember. We have a, a responsibility to preach the gospel, whether we feel like it or whether we don't. Whether we feel especially anointed by the Spirit or we don't, we still preach the gospel. Now Peter begins to preach this and he goes back to the Psalms and he points out much what we saw last week in the book of 1 Peter. He goes back to Psalm 118 and talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And he's simply quoting what he's heard Jesus Christ himself say while he was on earth. For example, in Luke 20 and 17, Jesus said, after speaking a parable, the stone which the builders rejected 
You're, you're experiencing what was written. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner. And whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. There's some great <coughs> prophetic truth in that, some great gospel teaching that Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the head of the church, the foundation on which everything else is built, whoever falls on it will be broken and healed, but whoever it falls on will be ground to powder. And of course, Peter points this out in his book, as I mentioned. Verse 12 is getting to where I want to get to, moving on. But verse 12 is one of the most important verses in all Scripture because it points out the exclusivity of Christ and salvation in Him alone. You see what Peter says here. You've probably seen this quoted often. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except, of course, this name of Jesus. Peter, it says, they were boldly speaking these terms. Boldly speaking this gospel. That's a political term, meaning they declared the whole truth without fear or favor. I found that interesting. That's a political term. How surprised would we be if being a politician in our country meant people declared the whole truth without fear or favor? It's a little different now. But they also recognized not only these men bold, but they were uneducated and untrained. In other words, they weren't professionally trained like Paul was, or they weren't educated by the Pharisees and religious leaders. In fact, we read that they marveled at them. The same word used back in chapter 2, how the people marveled that these people were speaking their language, but they were hearing them in their language. Remember, we call it the gift of tongues. They marveled the same way here. They were marveled at listening to these uneducated fishermen preach the gospel. But it makes this note for us, but they realized they had been with Jesus. So they could say nothing but threaten them, never to teach again in this name. And then they committed this civil disobedience. And they made this statement, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God... You must judge. But we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard. We'll learn next week as we look back into the book of 1 Peter. We have a role as citizens. And in this world we have a role of servitude. To be servants. But there does come a time, scripturally, when we can't do what we're commanded to do by civil authorities. And this is one of those times. They were told to be quiet. Don't preach about Jesus anymore. Don't talk about these doctrines anymore. But Peter and John said, if that's the way it is, so be it. You'll have to come arrest us again because we can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. And thankfully they did just that. And many have followed in their footsteps. And many even today in many countries all over this planet are doing the same thing and being arrested for it. This is the first persecution of the church. I wanted to show you that because, of course, where we are in First Peter, you have the dispersion Christians, those who have been um, threatened and run out of their homes, and they're living as exiles. But notice here, Peter can speak to this because he's been a part of this too. He's been persecuted. This is the very first persecution, six weeks from the crucifixion, and the promises of Jesus are already coming to pass. 
For example, Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And later in the same chapter, he says, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And so they hate the church. Sometimes it will come down to this, and I think it will come down to this soon for us even. Which authority do we obey? When is it okay to obey and when is it okay to disobey? And one of the things I want you to note from this passage is that I think one day every one of us, every disciple, will have to determine allegiances. There will come a day when the follower of Christ will be called out. And you'll have to determine where you stand. Will you obey God or will you obey the authorities? Many of you who are a little older than me probably never thought you would see even some of the threats that we have seen in America already. The threats of silence. Lawsuits being brought against preachers who preach against sin. You can preach against sin as long as you don't preach against the wrong sin. Just in our, to our, our neighbors to the north, street preachers are being arrested regularly for standing on the, preaching, on the street and preaching the gospel. Certain sins you preach against, you're considered a bigot and it's considered hate crimes. I'm somewhat frightened for my children and certainly for their children if the Lord tarries us coming that long, what it would be like even here to proclaim the truth of the gospel. I say I'm somewhat frightened because I fear for my children as a fleshly man, but I don't fear because God said this will happen. It's not a secret. And I know this, that God will take care of his own. The church throughout the centuries has been facing persecution. Men and women and children have been tortured and beaten and burned or worse because of the name of Christ. So not only has healing and salvation come through this name, but much suffering has come as well and sorrow. But of course, ultimately victory. The cross is the ultimate picture of victory. It should represent shame and sorrow, yet it represents victory. Some will look at it and see weakness, but it really heralds what it means to be a winner. Some see it as pathetic, but it really displays what it means to be powerful. Many look at the cross, and even in Jesus' day, looked at him and thought, what a fool. But so many have come to the cross and received forgiveness. Many, including Jesus himself, have suffered for righteousness. But thankful we should be for these words from Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll have to make a determination where we stand, who we belong to, and whose we are. And the reason is mainly because of this, what I pointed out in verse 12. The world will not tolerate the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. 
Religious pluralism is the real religion of the world. It's certainly become the religion of America. Everybody's religion is equal. And though I will say gladly that we live in a place where all are free to worship and they should be able to worship as they please. And as a Christian, we should be tolerant of other beliefs. But we still have to proclaim and exclaim without any wavering that there's only one way to God. And there's only one name by which you must be saved. And it is Jesus Christ. The gospel does discriminate. It does not allow for any other avenues to God. God himself discriminates. He will not allow anyone to worship anything other than him. He is a jealous God, we read. And he also prescribes how he is to be worshipped. The world says we ought to give everybody's belief credibility. Everybody's religion credibility. But that's not tolerance. We can't accept everybody else's way to God as an avenue of rightness. That makes you a convert, not tolerant. Tolerance is listening and lovingly defending what you know to be correct. If everybody's correct, then really nothing is correct. If there can be more than one God, then there can be any number of gods. God, by definition, must stand alone. If there's one God, then there has to be only His way to get to Him. I don't do ecumenism very well because of this very reason. I don't want to compromise the gospel at any point. I don't want to join in mission work with those who do not believe God saves to the uttermost or that God saves for a little while and then gives that up or some way we're not saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. I don't want to partner with that. There are belief systems, even in Protestantism, and churches within Protestantism that don't believe in the Trinity, that believe all kind of weird things about the Holy Spirit. And the list could go on and on. I don't want to be coupled with that. Paul warns Timothy, the pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Take heed to yourself in the doctrine and continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Peter and John were teaching doctrine to those who would listen because it's important. The world will not tolerate the exclusivity of the gospel, but we have to protect and reclaim it even in the face of persecution. good news is this. When we do live this way and we teach boldly this exclusive gospel, God still brings people to himself. Even though the council was angry and upset, and even though the apostles were arrested and locked away, God was still saving people. The power of God and salvation is the gospel. Note this, God is willing to expend his followers to accomplish his will. That puts a hole in the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? I'd love to hear a gospel prosperity preacher or a prosperity gospel preacher 
preach on this subject, God is willing to have his own expire to increase the kingdom. Kind of throw, blows up in the face of that teaching and that doctrine. But it is true. If you read the scriptures, God is willing. But why not? Because he's only bringing them home. The blood of the martyr is never wasted in the kingdom of God. And this, the modern concept of ministry and what church has become is so foreign to the New Testament for the most part. If we go back to the scriptures and we see what these men sacrificed and what they were up against and understand that this same kind of persecution may come and face the church again and probably will, if the Bible is true, we know it will. The comfort that most of us face in Christianity will come to nothing. Especially those who call themselves preachers. We have taken the easy road. We preach to people that believe most of what we say. We come into very little contact usually of anybody that's in opposition. What are we going to do when it happens? When we're told to be quiet, when we're told to quit saying what the Bible says, what will we do? Will we quit? Will we be silent? Will we find a church that just complies? Or will we be like Peter and John? Do what you have to do, but I'm going to speak these truths. And you know what happened? Even when they were put in jail, you know what they did? They still preached the gospel, even in jail. They didn't silence their words. They never became quiet. I don't know how I would react. I don't, I've never been in that position much. Probably most of you in the same way. Have you ever been really threatened to be silent? Have you ever really been threatened to not say what you feel like the truth is? I don't know what that would be like. But I do know what the Bible says, that it is coming. And when it comes, we're still supposed to proclaim the truth. And as I mentioned, many do. Many have died. Many have been set on fire. Many have lost literally their heads they've lost family members they've watched their children be murdered before them because they would not compromise the gospel we've seen a small taste of it in this country several years back when uh, the craziness of school shootings and all that was happening and these deranged murderers were trying pointing you know targeting Christians and trying to get them to renounce their belief in Jesus or now, who knows if they would have shot him anyway, but they end up shooting him because even kids wouldn't deny their faith. It's an amazing testimony. Just a small sampling of what it would be like. I don't look forward to that, but it does seem that it would, it's coming if the Bible's true. And I wanted you to see this because when we read chapter 2 and 3 of First uh, Peter, it seems like we're told to bow down and comply no matter what happens and that's not the case we are to comply and we are to be respectful and obedient except where we have to deny the gospel we can't do that so God help us not to because this is the only power of God in salvation the gospel it's the only thing God will honor Father thank you for your word and God I pray your blessings upon the reading of it and the teaching of it Thank you for these men who we have as examples. 
we have a lot of bad examples in the Bible, people we shouldn't follow after and things we shouldn't do and emulate. But then we have these men who, though they're sinful men, and we do see at times, especially for Peter, things that we shouldn't emulate in his life, there are times like these when we see he did the right thing and we should follow him in his example because he followed Christ. So God, help us to know the truth and give us boldness to speak it. Um, There are many around us who just need to hear the gospel and be saved. And so I pray that you would help us to be faithful of that. Um, And even if we find ourselves in a place that's not comfortable, in a place that's not popular, um, help us with love and graciousness to speak boldly. It doesn't seem like here that Peter and John were ugly in any kind of way. They just spoke the truth. And usually the words spoken in truth, even when spoken softly, are very hard to not listen to. They ring loudly. So give us great grace to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.